the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined today by the legend himself, Noops, Alex Christensen. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Noops, N-O-O-P-S. I love that that name. It's one of the best handles (laughs) in all of Twitter. He is the Dean of Tennis at Sports Wager University and the host of Brown Bag Bets. You can follow his work at BetUS, as well as Ace NBA previews and net worth pods. Really recommend the Ace NBA previews throughout the season. They're absolutely phenomenal. Follow all his work on Twitter at underscore noops. Alex is here to help me break down defensive player of the year. Last week, we talked about six man of the year, and we're going to get to how to bet defensive player of the year. We'll get you the picks for sure at the end of the show, but we want to talk about more about the process of going through this, how to set up your framework for how you want to approach betting this and alex let's just start here when we look at this award uh defensive player of the year has historically been it's one of the most honestly for years it was terribly awarded one of my favorites was like marcus Camby won it one year with the nuggets when they were an absolutely horrific defense because it was just blocks and rebounds in recent seasons obviously advanced metrics have played a big role in reshaping the award we're still a long way, I think, from being able to accurately do this. I think DPOY is a fraught market. And the reason I say this is, in my opinion, it's the one where I don't trust the voters the most. I tend to trust the voters. I know a lot of voters. And I know how much work that they do and how much they care about getting these awards right and the time that they spend. The idea that the media is just like, blah, 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 narrative, not accurate. A lot of these voters are just spending a lot of time. DPOY, for you to accurately do it, you need to watch thousands of thousands of thousands of possessions. Looking at the numbers isn't going to help you. Looking at the highlights are not going to help you. You got to watch them possession by possession to not only watch the shots that they alter and the rebounds that they grab, but you have to be able to watch things like how often do they deter guys from shooting at all. And that stuff takes a lot of time. And so it's very difficult, I think, for this award to get accurately rewarded, which to me makes it a little bit difficult to bet on given that it's not like six man of the year or rookie of the year. We can just go, well, who's got the points, rebounds, assists. This one's become a little bit wonkier. What's your approach when you look at betting defensive player of the year? What are you looking for? In terms of timing, I wait and I try to focus on big numbers because you're right. This is an impossible award to, I think to figure out during the season, as good as all of the advanced data that we have on offensive statistics is, the defensive stats really lag. Now, there are some good numbers out there, but they're highly analytical numbers, if you will. They can be confusing. They're hard to find. As good as the NBA stats webpage is, it's hard to break down some of these defensive impacts. And you described a lot of stuff. How do you even make numbers for those? How do you make a stat for shots deferred or great rotations or things like that? I think a lot of this stuff is people rely on help from really sharp guys. Um, you know, you listen to people like Zach Lowe. He, he does a great job of breaking down defensive impacts. Steve Jones on Twitter is one of my favorite accounts. He's a former tape guy who does a great job breaking down stuff. But in general, I think you're right. Everybody looks at steals and blocks. And I don't think it's really a coincidence, Matt, that um, depending on how you feel about Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Smart was the first guard to win this award since Gary Payton. Um it's centers, it's power forwards, it's Dwight Howard, it's, you know, Giannis Attentacumpo, Rudy Gobert has won three out of the last four years. So I think this is an award where 
with all due respect to the voters, it's really hard for them to figure this out. And I think they just kind of lean on some names that are comfortable. And I also wonder if this is an award where the market actually drives voting because voters know about the betting markets on this. Yeah. And we actually saw a lot of this, I believe, with the NBA draft, where I think a lot of people were writing about Jabari Smith being the number one pick because he was the favorite. I don't think that they necessarily had that information. So I wonder if there's also a little bit of that at play. So yeah, when I'm looking at this award, I try to focus on some big numbers earlier in the season and during the year, just kind of watch how it moves because this one is a little bit more static than the others. I want to thank real quick Seth Partnow uh, of The Athletic, good friend of mine, uh, for screwing me out of a lot of money last season <laughs> by basically single-handedly winning Marcus Smart the award. Uh, Seth published a big piece on Marcus Smart and his defensive impact. And after that article, like the market started moving, the momentum started shifting. That was when the Celtics were, were rolling as they did throughout basically until the finals. And all of that combined for Smart to overtake uh, who I thought should have won, which is Bam Adebayo. I had a lot of, of parlays on on Bam. Now, I, have, I was able to hedge late with parlays on Marcus Smart. Um, we'll talk about this in another episode with Brandon. I, I do a lot of late season award parlays because you're able to basically configure between the guys that you can basically eliminate and you're still getting some good numbers, uh, especially if it's like there's variance, like jobs. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's because Tyler was at such a for a six man was such a low number um, by basically all star, right? Like he was at, he was at such a, a, a short or a long number. Yeah, he was me. minus 1500 by all yeah, star. Was a short, a short number. Pardon me. He was so short. Um, the value wasn't there, but like in January, he was still like six to one, five to one. You put him with jaw for most improved. And all of a sudden these numbers start really racking up. Um, now, sometimes you get screwed. And you got to be able to be, you have to follow up because I definitely had to hedge both DPOY and rookie of the year because the two guys that should have won, Evan Mobley should have won rookie of the year. I'm never going to let go of that. It was absolutely absurd that Scotty Barnes won that award. And it was absurd that Marcus Smart won the award, in my opinion, over Bama DeBio. Games, like here's, here's a good example of how wonky this one is. Rudy Gobert a couple of years ago wins with 56 games played. Bama DeBio misses a bunch of games and people go, oh, he missed too many games. Does it matter or does it not? Is there a 65? This is part of what's really frustrating. Bam Adebayo was the most versatile defender in the NBA last season. Um, missed time, definitely a factor. Availability matters. I'm with that. Uh, Marcus Smart was not necessarily that much better, even than his teammate Robert Williams, who my colleague Brandon Anderson had big bets on uh, for that award. Me too. There's a lot of ways I think we can take away from last year in terms of the guidelines. You mentioned like when to bet and how to bet. Narrative, I think, is is more prevalent in this award than maybe even with MVP at this point. I think another big takeaway is you do need, I think to have a top five defense. And the reason I'm going to go ahead and it needs to be on an overall team level. And one of the reasons I'll say that is Rudy Gobert was the most impactful defender last season by on off splits. When Rudy Gobert was on the court, the Utah jazz were the best defense in the league, but the jazz finished between 12 and 15, depending on where, what metric you use in overall defensive efficiency. So guess what? The Jazz defense wasn't good enough. So even if it's not necessarily that player's fault, you do need to evaluate. They've got to, in my opinion, be a top five defense. Like the guys that were in consideration last year and that finished in the award voting high on these lists, top five last season, Marcus Smart, obviously Celtics best defense in the league. Mikhail Bridges, top five defense. Rudy was third which is proof of exactly how good he was and how much impact he got. He got 12 first place votes, which is a lot for that for him given the time missed and where they were. 
But there's also, I think, fatigue factor with Rudy that I think dissipates the season. And then Bam finishes fourth, and Jaron Jackson Jr. finishes fifth. Memphis with a top 10 defense. So I think your starting point needs to be, is this defense overall good enough? Drew Holiday has been one of the most impactful defenders in the league for years, but when he was, he was with New Orleans, the team defense was still bad. Didn't matter how good Drew was. It's why this leans a little bit towards big men. Um, finally, this is the other thing I'll say is, when we look at last year's kind of, of voting, Draymond Green wins this if he doesn't get hurt. Do you agree with me? I think he wins this if he doesn't get hurt, and he's a nice person to media members. I think that it's hard for him to get votes given the way he conducts himself at this point. Um, I, I, you know, when we get to him, that's why I frankly crossed him off the list. I just, I don't think he's going to get the recognition that his play deserves given his behavior otherwise. That's interesting because I think that there's, there's still a wide ranging amount of support for Draymond um, given like he'll be combative at times, but he's got a pretty good relationship with most of the respected media. So what I mean by that respected is, is, is a bifurcating term. I just watched severance of bifurcation. You just mean some of the bigger media players. Yeah. Like David Aldridge, he's always going to have a vote. Draymond, David Aldridge are good. Marcus Thompson's going to have a vote for golden state. Those guys are, are on really great terms. Um, Sam Amick, another consistent voter, good terms. Most of the guys that have votes and most of those guys are also very understanding of, and we have to understand like, look, if, if that was true, I think if the media, relations were going to hurt a player it's going to hurt Westbrook in 2017 because there's literally been nobody ruder to NBA media than Westbrook through the years the power um, of the triple double right um we'll talk about timing for this so in six man you said you want to vote early you want to vote in preseason we saw last year this really late move but that late move was predicated on the Draymond injury the best value for Draymond was obviously like I started betting him first month of the season I was like oh crap the Warriors have an insane defensive rating I'm definitely voting Draymond. Um, do we think that last year was an outlier and that you don't have to wait? Or do we think that we can? I also feel like this award tends to be a little bit more nebulous. I feel anecdotally like Rudy, when he's won it, has gotten a lot of momentum around Christmas and that's carried through All Star and then it's been done. So I kind of mm-hmm. think maybe Christmas is when I want to start betting Defensive Player of the Year, not too early and not too late to get the best value. I kind of look at the, at Christmas as a good time to start betting DPOY. What are your thoughts on betting DPOY throughout the season? It's something I actually keep an eye on pretty regularly because this is an award where I think before the all-star break, you try to grab some big numbers. And part of the reason for that is another thing that is uh, key for this award, having a winning record. The last 10 winners um, averaged were on teams with an average win rate of 68%. I mean, I think we talked about this on six man a little bit. Voters love to give awards to great teams. They deserve recognition for the great season that they've had. And I think because this award is a little bit difficult to give out, if there is a great team with a great defensive player, and I think that's why kind of the Celtics ended up winning last year. I think you're right. Draymond was great. He probably could have won the award, but the injury took him out. But if it wasn't going to be Marcus Smart, I think it was going to be Robert Williams. He was taking a ton of steam, getting a ton of attention. And as good as Bam Adebayo was for the Miami Heat, for some reason, he just doesn't pop off the screen. I guess I don't know why he never gets you know kind of as much attention as he does but this is an award where again before the season I try to scoop up some big numbers on guys that I like like Giannis Antetokounmpo in this open was I believe 10 11 12 to 1 at some spots he's now single digits you know you try to go ahead and look for stuff like that 
Gobert is someone that, you know, now that he's been moved to Minnesota, we can kind of cross him off the list, I think. I don't know if the Wolves are going to be as good as they need to be from a win-loss perspective as well as a defensive rating perspective. I mean, can you see Minnesota being a top-five defense? I can't. I do, actually. Um, I think there's value on Rudy again. And we'll just go ahead and transition into into some of the picks. So I don't know if I'm going to bet Rudy yet. I haven't bet on this award yet. I'm going to bet Draymond. And we'll talk about him in a second because we're going to disagree on him. This is good. We're going to disagree in healthy ways. Uh, so I just I just started looking at two-man lineups combinations. I want to see, because this was something that was sparked by, I'm doing a Rockets deep dive right now. And so I wanted, I was like, okay, their offense wasn't good, but after all-star, their offense was really good with KPJ and Jalen Green on the court. But how good was that compared to like the best guys or like the top whatever and trying to get an estimation of that. And this transitioned into, I looked at two-man combos for defense. What were the best two-man combos, lineups, minimum 500 minutes played, a good healthy amount of minutes um, last season in defensive rating. And the Jazz occupy a ton of these spots with Gobert. And that's with the fact that the Jazz defense last year, perimeter-wise, point of attack was the worst it's been in any season with Gobert. Um, Ingles was sliding before and then got hurt. Mitchell was worse last season than he has ever been. Mike Conley, I think, was worse than last season than he's ever been. Royce O'Neal was trying, but because he was having to face like the best guys every single time, worst. And you look at Minnesota and you go, is this better? Like D'Angelo Russell, is that going to be better? But I consider Ant to be a plus defender and he'll be less, I think, risk prone than he was last season. Towns is an interesting one in this setup because Towns really thrived when they played at the level. And you don't do that with Rudy, but you're also never going to have a situation where Rudy and Towns are guarding pick and rolls together. So schematically in this, what we're basically saying is if a team runs a 1-4 pick and roll versus Towns, they're like, let's just get Rudy out of the picture. I don't want to deal with him, right? Or let's space him out as much as possible, which is difficult if you, you have to have the personnel. And let's run one four. Towns can then play at the level. And when Towns plays at the level, the, the Wolves were really good defensively. Like that was consistent throughout the season. When they play at the level and they blitz, they're really good. They're like, all right, can't do that. Let's go back to one five. Then you play Rudy and drop pick and roll. And Rudy's the best drop pick and roll defender probably in NBA history. So like you have these like versatility options. A lot of this for me, Alex, is that I don't necessarily think Patrick Beverly is as good as his reputation. Um, Pat's annoying. He's a pest. He's definitely good. He's disruptive. But a lot of those guys wind up, especially with Pat Bev because of his intensity and the technicals and everything else and the fouls, there's a negative effect overall, I think, in terms of like keeping your defense stable. I still think this team can be good enough stability-wise where Rudy lifts them that high up. And if the Wolves go, bear in mind the Wolves were a top-10 defense until the late-season slide last season when they basically started trying to switch because they were like, we need to be able to switch. They were a top-10 defense and then slid a little bit. If we take that and we go, okay, Rudy pushes them up, I think there's a good chance that they're top five. And now all of a sudden the narrative is Rudy Gobert comes in and the Wolves, who no thinks of as a good defensive team, are a top five defense. That would be my argument for Rudy Gobert, even though I don't love the number right now because the, the, he's still the favorite at plus 550 at FanDuel. Uh, you're talking me into it a little bit, but I guess I would be concerned not so much about 
Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns being in pick and rolls, but you're still going to have D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns in pick and rolls, and that is not going to go well. And maybe Gobert can help a little bit with that. The addition of Kyle Anderson, I think, will help the defense a little bit. Mm-hmm. But And then once you get to the bench, I don't like McLaughlin, Austin Rivers, Jaden McDaniels. I mean, Bryn Forbes, it's going to be some really tough replacement players. So I think you're right. Minnesota's defense was a little bit underrated given that how good they were for the first half of the season. But I think it's a lot to ask unless the Edwards takes a huge step forward defensively or something like that. Uh, I would say that Kyle Anderson's a plus defender. Jade McDaniels is a plus defender. Um, who are the other guys off the bench that you mentioned? Uh, Rivers, McLaughlin. Yeah, Rivers and McLaughlin, I would both list as plus defenders. McLaughlin's small, but he's pesky. He's able to get over screens. So, like, a lot of this is about rethinking the way that we we talk about defense. Are you able to keep the guy in front of you or versus are you able to get over a screen? Because that's really what you need. Like, the entire reason why I will never be able to bet on the Portland Trailblazers as long as they have use of Nurkic and Damian Lillard is because Dame can't get over screens and Nurkic can't play at the level. So that combo, you're always giving space way too much but McLaughlin smaller can get over screens Jade McDaniel longer can get over screens you give Rudy Gobert any help getting over screens any and he is so good in that capacity and again a lot of this is just when I looked at their at on ball performance last season when they put two at the level two at the level covers for all of these defensive mistakes if you tell D'Angelo Russell hey I don't need you to get over the screen and really fight I just need you to recover and put your hands up and just like be there. That's a lot easier than telling a guy fight over the screen, recover and actually contest a shot. And like, it's one of the reasons it's kind of a cheat code. The problem with two at the level is that, Hey, if you break it, you've got downhill four on three, right? You got two guys on the perimeter off the ball handler. He, he throws the ball short roll. And now you get a problem. You know, what's really helpful in those situations having the best rim protector in the league and Rudy Gobert. So <laughs> that'd be my argument for Gobert. Um, All right. You're getting me there. Yeah. I think, we, but here, but, but on to your point, I can talk myself into all these like systemic schematic things. And then it's like, yeah, but D'Angelo Russell still sucks. And Carl Anthony Towns had a worst, worst year. And then that's it. Right. Or teams just relentlessly, because we started to see this last season there was a, one of the reasons why Rudy would look so good in the regular season and then fall apart in the, in the postseason was that nobody really wanted to like try this stuff and the, they would save it for the playoffs. We don't want to switch. We don't want to go five out. We want to save that. Teams last year started being like, screw it. We're going to show you the look. Like the Spurs in the second half of a game in which they won were just like, yeah, we're going five out. We're just switching everything. And the Jazz fell apart. The question is going to be, whether or not the the wolves can go to switch all looks and if they can contain better than Utah did. And that's one yeah. that I don't have the answer to right now. Let's get to some of your picks though. Um, give me a couple of bets that you've already put in that you think have real good value for defensive player of the year for next season. Yeah, I mentioned Giannis and I didn't see this earlier, but I was poking through. There's still 12 to one out there on DraftKings. Now I don't know if the way his minutes are going to be managed the way Bud is being smarter about the regular season, but just too big of a number for someone who is just a tremendous defensive player. But three big men stuck out to me, and we'll start with my Joel Embiid. I'm a huge 76ers fan. I love Joel Embiid. I think he is one of, if not the most impactful defenders in the league when he's playing. He just makes a huge difference night in, night out. Now, hard to be a little worried that maybe he'll get too much attention for MVP, which takes a little bit of attention away from this. But 
we saw Giannis win both awards. So uh, we know that voters are willing to hand out both awards. So if Embiid does win MVP, it doesn't necessarily mean he won't win this. But I'm looking at 25 to 1 um, for someone who, again, checks all the boxes of what we're looking for in this award. Is going to be someone who's talked about constantly as a great defensive player. He's going to be on a winning team. The Sixers should have a good defense again this year. He's going to have a lot of blocks and things like that. Jaron Jackson Jr. is another name that stuck out to me. It just really comes down to his health. He was someone that um, I bet last year and was actually starting to move up pretty quickly in the market until he got hurt. If he can somehow stay healthy for 60, 65 games, Memphis continues to be a really strong team. He's going to have a lot of defensive highlights and put up a lot of blocks and steals and the things that get you wins here. And then the third name, Evan Mobley didn't win rookie of the year last year and for some reason didn't make the defensive um, all-NBA team, but it just looks like the prototype. If you were going to go into a lab and design a player to be a defensive player in today's NBA, he is it. can protect the rim, can defend on the perimeter, is constantly um, making positive plays on the end of the floor. So give me three big men at pretty big numbers. It'd be 25 to one, Triple J at 30 to one, and Mobley at 35. All right. I like all these picks. Now I'm going to tear them apart. Uh, so let's start with Joel. Um, they're going to be a better defense this season because they added two plus defenders in PJ Tucker and Daniel House. That's going to help. Um, they still have two negative defenders in James Harden and Tobias Harris. So I think ultimately it's like Tobias actually gave like really good effort last year, but he's just limited. Tyrese is fine. I think, I think that's the best way to put it is Tyrese is fine. Um, my argument with Joel is his effort defensively has really waxed and waned as he's taken on more and more of an offensive role. And his usage is so high right now that I genuinely kind of think that he doesn't have the energy level on that end. He's also, he's pretty much just going to play drop. Uh, they switched him a little bit last season. He was actually really good. I did a deep dive on his MVP chances and was really impressed with how they switched him and what he did when he played on switch and at the level, he was good in those capacities. I just don't know if it's going to be good enough for him to stand out the way that he needs to. One of the things with the bigs, I think is really interesting is can you get blocks and deflections and counting stats depending on your scheme? And I think Joel, if he's playing more at the level, which you, if you're playing, if you have Harden, you need to not play drop. That's just like a pretty big baseline is like, don't play drop with Harden. You're just, you're not going to get the result that you want and it's going to wear them out. So they're going to switch every. That's why Houston went to switch all right. So if Houston switches everything, Joel's on the perimeter, more fewer blocks. And those things I do think kind of hurt his chances, even if the overall defensive effort and impact is greater. Plus if they're a really good defense, I think a lot of the attention is going to be like, man, you know who really helped this year was PJ Tucker, like a guy that can like drag the narrative a little bit away. We're talking about degrees here. I don't think it's a bad bet. I just can't really get there. Jaron. Those are good nits to pick. Jaron. I, I, it's just injury. Well, it's injuries and fouls. Like that's really honestly the thing is like they lose Kyle Anderson. They lose the Anthony Melton. They lose two, what I consider to be plus defenders. Jaron's going to be out four to six months. He could be back in November. He could be back in January. He's back in January. I think he's going to be up against the same problem as Bam at a bio. And that's if he doesn't miss any more time, they're going to have to manage his minutes and probably keep him off the back to backs. And Jaron's still foul prone. I think Jaron was, was really great last season, but he's so he's still all over the place. That's why he winds up in those foul troubles. Like that's, that's, Beating that narrative, I think, is going to take multiple seasons for him with voters. I think voters are going to go like, man, he's just he always racks up fouls. Even if the numbers don't bear it out, I think that'll be the perception of him, and that'll hold him back. Um, 
we'll get to mobile in a minute because I agree with you on mobile. Uh, two names I got. Pretty boring. Bam out of bio plus 750. Draymond Green plus 1100. So I liked Mikhail Bridges a lot last season, but if Mikhail Bridges wasn't going to win it last season or be in serious contention, he's not winning it. I'm just kind of like, okay, apparently you have to have Marcus Smart's notoriety in order to win this award if you're going to be a non-big. Bam was the best player defensively in basketball last season outside of Draymond. He just was. He is the most versatile big in the NBA. He blocks shots. He gets steals. He makes every single rotation. He gets the numbers. He rebounds. If we talk about what what the NBA should value in defense right now, given how the postseason has played, there is no better player in my mind defensively than Bam Adebayo. Like that's how good he is. I would take Bam Adebayo in a defensive draft right now over Rudy Gobert. I would take him over Draymond Green. I would not take him over Giannis. Giannis probably be one. Giannis, I think, faces difficulty for a number of reasons. Not a bad pick there. Um, only reason maybe to stay away from Giannis, the same reason while bringing this up and when we do MVP, playing in Eurobasket, I'm worried about the minutes. I'm worried about the minutes racking up on him. But 9-1 to one is still really good for Giannis. I like 7.5-1 to one for Bam. One of the, here's one of the, the really great things with, um, with Bam Adebayo and his value. Doesn't matter who plays for Miami. Doesn't. Um, there's a chance the Warriors slide without Otto Porter and, and Gary Payton. I don't think so, but there's a chance. There's, there's a ch- Historically, the defense is still great with Draymond, but there's a chance it slides. Omar Yurtsevin plays. The defense is elite next to Bam Adebayo. Tyler Hero has to start. Defense is still elite with Bam Adebayo. Max Struess, Kyle Lowry's out. Jimmy Butler's out. Doesn't matter. Spolster gets that unit with Bam to be top five no matter what. There is no scenario that where Bam plays a season where he plays 65-plus games and the Miami Heat are not a top-five defense in my mind. So that, to me, is like right there, the Heat, I think, are going to be a top-four seed. And I think that, well, maybe top-five. And the Heat are going to be elite defensively. So I like Bam out of bio still. What's the argument you think for against Bam, other than just it's 7.5-1 to one versus these longer shots? Yeah, it's kind of a silly argument in that he's never really gotten a, a vote. I don't know why. He doesn't yeah. seem to garner as much attention from voters and from the NBA community at large as I think some of us that dive in a little deeper um, give him. I mean, I love Bam Adebayo. He's one of my favorite players in the league. He's tremendously underrated, not only for what he does defensively, but even offensively what he's capable of doing. And it just for whatever reason, again, he doesn't pop off the screen at people. Even with a name like Bam Adebayo, he doesn't seem to be able to grab people's attention. And that would be my real nit to pick there. I think Draymond, the the only other thing there, we talked about him a little bit. Is he going to give 100% effort again? Are we going to get Draymond from last year? Are we going to get Draymond from like two, three years ago? And, you know, maybe he was a little overweight coming into the season. He wasn't maybe as locked in. I mean, that's what I was most impressed by last year with the Warriors. For whatever reason, everybody seemed to get really locked in. And and maybe that's what it was. Draymond knew we had about two years of being a good team, not a great team. And last year was their first real shot. So, um, yeah, I would be a little worried about Draymond's maybe effort. And again, for whatever reason, and this will be true until Bam wins, he doesn't seem to ever get votes. I don't know why. So he was like odds on favorite. I think he runs away with it last year. I just think if he's healthy, he runs away with it. So if we count on a full season of Draymond, which is tough coming off the title, but if you think Draymond's going to be able to play, Draymond at 11 to 1, I think is, is still really good value of handle, especially if you can find it somewhere better. Yeah, um, let's talk Mobley. 36 to 1 at FanDuel. This is incredible value. I've never seen a rookie have the type of defensive impact that he had last year. It fell off a little bit with the injuries. 
So that's like maybe the argument here is like, well, look, look what happened to the Cavs defense when Jared Allen was out. So is it really him? The trick is like, you won't know, right? Like, and I think there's also the factor of, yeah, okay. If you take off, if starters are out, the defense will on average get worse for most everybody. And so I honestly think that proves that Mobley wasn't as good as everything indicated. Everything indicates, and I test checked this out, that Mobley is like the elite of the elite. and He is only in his second season. I've never seen a player be that good that early. And so the, the spike for me is just like, man, if he gets better, more weight training, all these types of things. If you are a buyer on the Cavs, that is really the question mark. You mentioned the 68% win percentage. Do you think the Cavs can get to that high of a mark for him to be in consideration? Or do you think he'll just be so good he can beat out that requirement? I think they can get to like 60%. So the average is 68. As I'm flipping through, you know, the lowest is kind of high 50s, low 60s. So I think they can be a 60% win team. That puts them, you know, right around the four or five seed. And I think you make a good point about Jaron Allen, but in a lot of ways, I think that's what helps him. For whatever reason, Jared Allen doesn't get a ton of credit. And if the Cavaliers defense is great, it's, people are going to be talking about Mobley. And part of the reason Mobley can be great on the perimeter is because he knows he has Jared Allen behind him. I wonder if we go back and look, and this is something I've been planning to do, go back and try to watch some film of Cavaliers with just Mobley on the floor and then Mobley and Allen to see if he is as aggressive out you know, on the perimeter. Because when you have Jared Allen behind you, that's one of the five, 10 best rim protectors in the league. I mean, anybody can be aggressive on the perimeter. So I think Allen actually helps him. Uh, some perimeter guys that I would avoid. Mikhail Bridges came in second last year. Again, if he's not going to win it last year on how good Phoenix was, I don't think he's, he's there. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Again, it's, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. If he didn't win it last year and he didn't get a lot of votes last year, I don't know what else he could possibly do. Drew and Giannis are going to cannibalize each other. That's one of the issues, yeah. Giannis. And Drew is just not as, as big of a name at this point. He's kind of on the down side, if you will. And I just, I don't think he'll get the minutes again or the marquee assignments. I think you're right about that. Um, this is not a wing, but Anthony Davis is a is an interesting one. I'll just tell you that I did the film work on Anthony Davis last year. I, I'm not exaggerating this. He was bad. Not bad by his standards. The first part of the season, Anthony Davis was a bad defender. I, if you're like, that's not true, hit me up. Happy to share clips with you. Literally got beat in situations where it's like he's supposed to switch and just got taken off the dribble by slower players that he should be able to handle. Uh, lost containment in pick and rolls. Lost containment on backdoor cuts. Davis just wasn't there. The injury risk is always a factor. That's why this is 1,400. If he was healthy every season, this number would be a lot shorter. But I can't get around any sort of concept, especially with Russell Westbrook and the rest of this roster. I can't see this being a top five defense. I can't buy this into being Davis being elite. Maybe there's value on later in the season, but right now I definitely think he's a no play for preseason with Anthony Davis. I'm with you. Ford me those DMs. I think he is one of the most overrated defenders in the league, not only last year, but now that teams know that he's frankly a little bit soft, he doesn't generally doesn't want to guard the other team's best big man is not someone that is physical when guards are coming at him in a lane. And then he compiled that up with all the injury risk and stuff. And, I mean, at the end of the day, maybe all you need to say about Anthony Davis is the Lakers hate starting him without a real center next to him. Yeah. Um, the only other one I mentioned, and this is another young guy, and young guys usually don't win this award, so I don't know if I want to bet it. Herb Jones, 65 to 1, is lit. 
he he is so good. He is so freaking good. I think a lot of that though depends on um with Herb Jones. You gotta wait for the KD trade to settle. If he gets traded in New Orleans, Herb Jones is almost definitely going to Brooklyn. If he's on Brooklyn, he's not gonna win 60% of his games. So if he's in New Orleans and you buy into the Pelicans and KD's not there, even with that team, maybe you can get there and be like, man, Herb Jones was really that impactful for that defense. I don't know that the Pelicans could be a top five defense though. And so from that perspective, I don't love the value. Like he doesn't fit the criteria. I, I if you if I could get a bet on will Herb Jones winning a defensive player of the year award in the next five years, I'd absolutely take it. But I don't know that for this season that he's quite ready. So would you rather have Herbert Jones at 60 to one or would you rather have Lou Dort at 110 to one? That's kind of where I am with that. I think that in a lot of ways, those are similar. And we know a little more about the Dortress, if you will. I think Herb Jones is someone that is starting from a place of being a little more unknown and probably has that advantage. I think New Orleans is obviously better than Oklahoma City. That's the difference in those numbers. But that's kind of where I am. I just don't know if either of those guys, A, is, I think you're right, Herbert Jones is a great defensive player, but I just don't know if either one of those teams is going to be good enough to drag those guys to DPOY. Okay, that's going to do it for Buckets. My thanks to Alex Christensen. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore noops, N-O-O-P-S. Catch him all the places that he writes, provides betting content. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure, Matt. Looking forward to being back later. Okay, we'll revisit more. We'll be back later this week with another episode breaking down how to bet coach of the year. We'll do that as well as hit on some other awards in the coming weeks. We have off-season content programmed for you all throughout until we hit training camp. It's going to be awesome here. Keep it tuned every Tuesday and Thursday here on Buckets. Thanks for joining us.